ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Okay, so now let's welcome uh, our guests who are Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, who together have written Mad Honey. Jody and Jennifer, hello. Hi. Hello there. How are you doing? We're good. I'm fantastic. There will be a disruption fairly shortly as your drinks are brought in. Thank goodness. Uh, but we just thought we'd get on with it. Um, what have you ordered, Jennifer? I can't remember. Uh, mine is a latte. A latte. And Jody? Mocha. Okay, but without the vanilla syrup that you want. I don't think mochas have vanilla syrup. I was going for a vanilla latte and I settled. Okay. Matt and I have water. uh... (laughs) Jody and Jennifer have together written uh, Mad Honey. Matt, describe the cover, please. Yes. So, um, as you would expect for a book whose title is Mad Honey, it is dominated by bees. So you've got a honeycomb, which is taking up virtually all of the the front cover. Uh, So that amber tone of the the honeycomb and then bees everywhere. Right in the centre, picked out in white, is Mad Honey. And then at the top, the number one best selling author, Jodie Pico, and at the bottom, Jennifer Finney Boylan. And it's a very interesting cover because it gives you absolutely no idea as to what is what you're about to be reading. I mean, it does hint at the fact that there is bees uh, and honey is very important, but Jody and Jennifer, explain what the mad honey is of the title, which I realise is a problematic question because we don't learn until page 343 why <laughs> mad honey is relevant. Well, listeners to this podcast will have yes. advanced knowledge. So, I think this is for Jody to explain. Yes. Because we wrote the, the book is two alternating voices. Right. Um, Olivia, who is a mother of a young man who's been accused of murder of his girlfriend, and the other voice is the voice of the girlfriend. Her name is Lily. So I wrote uh, the Lily sections. Jody wrote the Olivia sections. And it's in the Olivia sections that we really learn about the honey and the bees and mad honey in particular. And that's because Olivia is a beekeeper now, having escaped a an abusive marriage with her son, Asher. And years later, she set herself up as a beekeeper and is basically reliving her life. And mad honey is actually a real thing. When you guys go out to a farmer's market and you get orange blossom honey or wildflower honey, it's because the foraging bees go from wildflower to wildflower or orange blossom to orange blossom. And they mostly are bringing back nectar and pollen from those plants. And it gives the honey that they make a specific taste. Well, mad honey is created in an area near Nepal when bees forage in mountain laurel and rhododendrons. And what they bring back creates a honey that looks and tastes just like any other honey, but that actually is 
quite dangerous. It will give you convulsions and you'll vomit and you'll be dizzy and you will have heart palpitations and fever. And in some cases you can die. And it actually was used for biological warfare. It's recorded in ancient Greece. Uh, home soldiers used to leave vats of mad honey on the road because approaching soldiers were always starving. And so they would come in, they'd eat the honey, they would get very, very sick, and then the home army would rout them. Uh, I loved the title Mad Honey because I thought it was such a beautiful metaphor for something that seems sweet at first that might actually be extremely dangerous. Okay, so the title is sort of bringing us in halfway through the book, I feel. So explain, before we go any further, how this story came about and how you two came to be writing a book together, which is obviously slightly problematic or could be. Well, it's it's freaky. In fact, that <laughs> the way this came about was through a dream. So it was May the 8th, 2017. In fact, New York City, um, where I teach at Columbia in the spring each year, I woke from a dream. And in that dream, I was co-authoring a book with Miss Jody Pico. And there were two voices in the dream, a mother of, of a son who'd been accused of the murder of the other voice. Uh, his girlfriend. So that was literally the dream. And I woke up and I thought, now that's very specific. <laughs> because, you know, usually I dream, I mean, I don't know what your dreams are like, but usually my dream is like I'm fighting a giant squid, yeah. you know, at, at the airport. <laughs> yeah, but now I think I'm going to have a dream that I was co-writing a, a book with James Patterson. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> right. Well, so I, I uh, in fact, I went on Twitter and I Pardon the expression. And I tweeted out, I just dreamed I was... Is that like a rude word? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Use the T word for what we used to call Twitter. And I, I tweeted out, I just dreamed I was co-authoring a book with at Jody Picot, whom I did not know and had never met. And it turned out that at that second, Jody was online. She saw the tweet. She sent me a private message, which was, what was this book about? And I told her what you just heard... And then she replied, LOL, let's do it. LOL, let's do it. Wow. Yeah. This doesn't happen in the real world, by the way. No, never. Well, I mean, it is freaky that, that, oh, and here comes our coffee. Just as we discussed dreams coming true. Now, we, we should say we, we recorded a place where you can hear there's a party going on there outside. Is. Yes. That's because right. producer Joe has a party lifestyle. <laughs> and we're recording it in his luxurious Manhattan so apartment. <laughs> and outside he has his personalized Thank DJs. You. Thank you, Joe. You now oh, shut the soundproof door. Well, and it was incredible that that waiter was completely naked. <laughs> and and, not, a, and not a bad looking young man either, I must say. Well, anyway, yes, back, so that was, so that was the dream. And because of that dream, Jody Picot, who I'd never met and did not know, has become my friend, my collaborator, and the woman with whom here we are in London drinking delicious coffee. Yeah. <laughs> You've explained, Jennifer, a bit about who wrote what, but it's got to be more complicated than that because you need to have... Re readers don't want to have, oh, this is this part of the book and this is another part of the book. How did you get a uniform style where it feels as though it's one story? That was really important to us. I didn't want it to feel like two voices fighting each other. So one of the first things that I think we had to do as writers was really learn more about how we go about the act of writing, which when you write a novel by yourself, you don't do. You sit down and you do the work, you know, but you don't 
analyze what kind of writer you are. And Jenny and I are very, very different writers. I, for example, learned I am a massive control freak. She's a massive I, control I, freak. I, I can say that out loud now. And oh, my I, God. I'm the one who had to keep the document on my computer. On and computer. I had to plug Jenny's chapters into it. And it was, you know, I don't know why, but it worked for me. You didn't sound like a natural you. collaborator. It worked, no, no, it worked no. for you just fine, yeah. didn't it? <laughs> hey, it I was look, like, at, look at that beautiful book. I it worked like, for everybody. Jody, can I have a copy of our book, please? <laughs> But that was part of it. The other part of it was I am very much a plotter. I organize. I outline. Jenny is what in the writing community we call a pantser. What meaning you call a pantser. I do call a pantser. I call it's what a writer. You, <laughs> what you, you fly by the seat of your pants, you know. But this is ultimately, this is a book about many things. It's also a courtroom drama and a murder mystery. And you can't get to the end of the book and be like, oh, what? I don't know who did it. Oh, How would we know who yeah. did it? So you've got to plan that yeah, stuff out. Which and we so did. We had a massive outline. It was also important to write an outline because chapter one is Olivia's chapter and it follows you through a day where Olivia's beekeeping and it ends with her getting a call from her son, Asher, who says Lily's dead and he's being questioned by the police. The second chapter is in Jenny's voice, which is Lily, the girl who's been murdered. And it's the same day, but it's her last hours. And it ends just before you find out what happens. Someone knocks on the door right. and she's, I wonder who that is. And so at that point now, you go back to Olivia in the next chapter and you move forward a little through this investigation and you continue all the way through to the end of the, of the timeline. But Lily's already dead. And we already have fallen in love with Lily. So Jenny's chapters continue to move backwards through time so that we learn about the past year that Lily has spent basically in this town where she recently moved. And we learn more about her as we go further back. Right. In her and life. whose idea was it that my chapters would mm. go backwards? Absolutely my idea. <laughs> that because, was your idea. Yeah, I have written books yeah. in reverse and they are horrible and I will never do that again. Yeah. So I decided Jenny should do it. <laughs> yeah, Jody, I said, I can't do that. Jody said, don't worry. You'll do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, now, before Matt comes in, I just want to ask an awkward question, I think, because there is a plot reveal about halfway through the book, which in ordinary circumstances we wouldn't discuss because it is a plot reveal. So explain the plot reveal which comes in halfway through. Well, I'm, uh, at least in the States, a pretty well-known uh, transgender activist. And my books generally deal with trans issues. And the fact that there's a trans element in this book should come as no surprise to people who are familiar with my work. And uh, we won't say which character or to whom this refers, but there is a reveal. You find out that there is this is an element um, at large in the book. So now we're talking about trans stuff, which shouldn't be awkward, but I think sometimes can be awkward because people lack the, is it the vocabulary? Is it the sympathy? There's there's something around trans issues, which, and not particularly in this country, but at least at this particular moment in, in the UK, uh, feels very fraught. And one of the things that we hope this book will do is to take away some of the electricity and allow people to have a little more compassion and understanding. Because it's one of the great things that fiction can do is that you fall in love with characters, mm -hmm. you come to sympathize with them and understand them. So it's it's almost as if your heart is opened uh, against your will or with, while you're not noticing it. It is worth also saying that every character in this book is in the stage of, of reinventing themselves, of revising themselves in some way. Ultimately, what you should be leaving this book with is a sense that we all have much more in common than we don't. And there's this running theme throughout the book, I think, about the difference between what is secret and what is private. What do we owe the people that 
we love? What do we have to tell them about our past? What about the past makes us who we are today? And do we ever get to jettison parts of our past that we don't like anymore? And again, that has really nothing to do with gender or identity or anything like that. If you are like Olivia, someone who is in an abusive marriage, is that something you need to disclose to another partner? You know, when you find a new relationship, if you had an abortion when you were 16, do you need to tell somebody that? Like, at what point do you get to control those facets of your life? And that, honestly, we've been on tour now forever. I, Jenny and I are yeah, forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> and so, honestly, every audience that we've talked about this with, they all go, they're nodding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everyone knows what you're talking about when you say, what was it that was somewhere inside of you, something in your heart that you couldn't let out because you were afraid it would change people's impressions of you? Everyone has a moment like that. Secrets are always that thing, aren't they, that, mm -hmm. that unlock a story. Yeah. But I wonder whether... was it, a, it must have been a conscious decision that you both took to say... Um, because there's no there's no mention of uh, a trans character on the on the flyleaf. If you were to pick up this book not knowing anything about either of you as authors, there is nothing that says that at all. And as Simon has pointed out, it's it's, it's like two hundred pages in mm -hmm. before we find out that one of the characters is trans. And I wondered whether that was a deliberate call by by both of you as you were writing. You, you were thinking we want to write a book where the reader is engaging with these characters and this story, have bought into that mm -hmm. before we start talking about, as you say, an issue that um, some people find awkward, some people find uncomfortable. Was that something that you both said to each other, let's tell this story first? I don't think we had to tell each other that. And here's <laughs> why. Because what you said is exactly true. You will fall in love with every character in this book. You are going to uh, root for them. Almost all. Almost all. That's true. You're going to root for them. You're going to struggle with them. And ultimately, I think in both of our hearts, we know that no human being is an issue. So when we say trans issues, and I have my air quotes up right now, mm. we're talking about human beings who are just trying to live life like everybody else. And that is what we wanted to remind everybody of. We wanted you to see every character in here as a human being, first and foremost. Whatever you choose to layer on after that, hopefully will cause you to, you know, sort of step back and go, oh, wait a second, I made a value judgment and I don't know why I assume that about that person. And I like this person. Maybe, maybe the fact that they were transitioned at some point. Maybe that has nothing to do with how I feel about them. So, yes, you're modeling that behavior, which is actually what I think everyone should be doing every day in the world. It's, it's also worth saying this is not this is not a book that is yeah. only about trans issues. This is I mean, there's there is that element. But to the extent that it's a book about trans issues, it's it connects to the way in which trans issues are turns out very similar mm -hmm. to a number of issues, as Jody was saying, things that we are afraid to tell other people because we don't have the language, because we are afraid of how people might react, because we don't have the courage to let something uh, that is private within ourselves out into the world. And as it turns out, that is a universal thing that I think we all share, that everyone has has that. And all the characters in this book have 
some variation of that issue in their lives. So uh, it was part of the strategy. I mean, you you really did crystallize it quite well there. I mean, you, maybe you had the dream with Jody. Um, <laughs> Everyone's going to have a dream about Jody now. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I like that. I want just want someone to have a dream about but me. But also, Matt, it's worth saying, nowhere in the flyleaf does it say that Olivia is right-handed. Did that mm. bother you? There you go, yeah. There's a line, in fact, there were a couple of lines huh. that I wrote down. I underlined them in the book. Oh, I, I hope like... they were mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one each, I think. But to be honest, I think you make it clear that sometimes you've interfered with each other's chapters. Well, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing. And you know. we, should, we should say that I wrote the Lily chapters, Jody wrote the Olivia chapters. However, we switched chapters. Each of us did the other's character one for, for one time. Yeah. And in part because we thought it was just good practice for writers to inhabit all the characters but also because we wanted the readers to kind of try to figure that out it's a little a little puzzle for you so here's here's the line that i wrote down it comes from olivia what if i don't understand because she's olivia is who is who's the mother in the book is the first uh, of the point of view characters what if i don't understand if you want to understand something you need to accept the fact of your own ignorance and I thought, OK, that's quite an interesting... So here is someone who is an understanding person who thinks that they've got it, but actually is beginning to realise that actually they haven't got a clue. Mm -hmm. Fair? Yeah, is that, that's is that you? totally is that accurate. Um, I, I'm not going to answer that. I want, I, want to hear, I want to hear the other <laughs> yeah, one, and then we'll the tell you. Which <laughs> okay. The other line, which I, I suspect you've been asked about before, the plumbing works and so does the electricity. That's now, again, can, can that be discussed in the context of not giving the book away? <laughs> Just in general terms. What was your question about that line? Well, other, than, other than that it's really good. Other than it is. <laughs> oh, right. What does it tell us? Well, as a transgender woman, I can tell you, people want to know, does everything about one's body function in the way it ought? And the answer is, the hell yes. <laughs> That's all you need. I want to talk um, because they're all over the front of the front of the book about the bees. Yeah, and I want to talk about because very early on we descend into the into the world of bees and beekeeping, and I learned an enormous amount. Yeah. And I, I, I declare declare an interest here uh, is that a few years ago I was and Simon knows this. I was desperate to get a beehive in my garden cool. and have been vetoed every time. And is I listen? It's not a massive garden, so my wife is probably right. Uh, <laughs> but I was really up for getting bees, and that was part of the reason why. I was really connecting with the book was the number of facts about bees. So I suppose the question is, which of you is the uh, is the bee fan? And tell me more about finding out more about the bees. Never stand in front of a beehive. Didn't know that, that for a while. That would be Jody. I am that the bee. I am I'm the queen here. The queen bee. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, when I. I just kind of, I don't know why, but I had this sense that Olivia was a beekeeper. And when I'm starting to do research, a lot of the research just, you know, you're doing it and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 this fits. This is great. This is great. And the more I learned about beekeeping, the happier I was that I decided to choose that as a metaphor. So it's worth noting that we wrote this during COVID. And I live in New Hampshire. I have asthma. I was terrified at the beginning of COVID. I didn't leave my house for 15 months till we had vaccines, with the exception of one day on Saturday or Sunday when I would meet a master beekeeper in a field in Vermont for all of his hives. And we would go through the hives and look for the queen and make sure everything was going right. Wearing and your hot wearing, bee suit. By wearing the way. my bee <laughs> suit with a mask under my, my helmet. Yeah, I'm six mm -hmm. feet away. Very sexy. And basically everything I know I learned from, from these uh, beekeepers. And, you know, everyone knows that girls run the bee world, that 
that in a hive, it's a queen bee who kind of is the uh, the important one, the one who drives the hive. And what not everyone realizes is that if you are a, a worker bee somewhere in that hive, if you're a foraging bee that goes out to get the nectar and pollen, if you're a nurse bee that takes care of the larva, you are a female bee. All the worker bees are female. There are male bees. They're called drones. They do absolutely nothing. <laughs> they sit in the hive and they eat the honey and deplete the resources. They and, watch rugby on TV. Yes. <laughs> Metaphor alert. Yes. Here we go. Yes. yes. And for one day, one day in their lives, the day that the queen bee takes her maiden flight, they all zoom out of the hive and seven or eight of them who are the farthest, who go the farthest and the fastest get to mate with the queen. And um, what happens when they mate is you can actually, uh, at the moment of ejaculation, you can hear the snap of the genitals coming off the male as he oh plummets to his Ooh. death. Yes. I put that in. I hope that's the end of the metaphor. Yeah. No, no, it gets better. It gets okay. better because then some other dude takes his place. And this goes on for like seven or eight bees. And finally, the queen comes home with enough fertilized eggs in her for a lifetime. And that's important because her only job is to make more bees. So every day she's laying hundreds and hundreds of eggs in a comb trying to make more bees. But there comes a point in a queen bee's life when she isn't doing her job well anymore. And at that point, those female nurse bees go, mm, time to replace her. What they do is create a new queen bee, and they go to the edge of a comb, and they pick a cell that has an egg in it that is about to turn into a larva. And if they pick a fertilized egg, um, which would have been a female bee, and they feed it something called royal jelly and only royal jelly, it becomes a queen bee. And the hope is that that little larva hatches, becomes this queen bee, and kills the old queen bee and takes over the hive. But if they choose to use an unfertilized egg, which would have turned into a male drone bee, and they feed it only royal jelly, it too becomes a queen bee. Ah, uh, which is what happened to me. So the bee analogy is working very hard. Yeah. Yes, but yeah. I mean, how cool is that, right? Come on. That was by far the coolest did you, fact. Did you know about those no. facts before? Wow. Okay. And I found that Presto out and I was like, jo. boom, you know, okay. slam yeah, dunk. Royal, can I just say in my own experience, royal jelly. Mm. Is that it? <laughs> mm, that's all it takes. That's gentlemen. all it takes. <laughs> you think you're minding your own business and one morning she slips royal jelly on yeah. your toast and now who's the new queen? Yeah. You don't know what's in that latte. <laughs> There's a chemist around the corner that sells royal jelly. Mm -hmm. I think that it ought to explain a little <laughs> bit more about. Is a thing, and I mean this as a compliment, because some of the best books I've I've read are YA books. This feels like a hybrid between a YA book and an adult book, mm -hmm. and maybe that's because the two point of view characters, one is a teenage mm -hmm. girl and the other is a middle aged mother. But it feels as though you've got that dynamic in there. Would that be? I mean, I suspect this will yeah. be put on <laughs> adult fiction shelves, but actually, it's a substantially a YA book. Yeah, we're very much looking forward oh, to it being banned in Florida. So, um, honestly... Mr. DeSantis, <laughs> do you not think he'll like it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty Any clear... Any book that asks people to open their hearts yeah. and to understand the people who are different, that's a book that's going to get banned. Yeah, I'm already banned in Florida, so it wouldn't be the first time. But, you know, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head very much. This is a love story between two teenagers. And Jenny, who wrote the vast majority of the Lily chapters, created a character in Lily who is engaging and fun and amazing. And oh, can I talk about Lily? Just a second. Let me finish my thought first. And then you can. Yeah. Okay. But it Control is. Control freak. I am. Yeah. But the point is that, that it's a very real young adult voice. And she can tell you more about how she got there. It is because of that something that I think 
that people who read YA would very much identify with as well. It is ultimately a love story between two people who are overcoming a whole bunch of obstacles. And I'm really glad that you like YA fiction because I have long said that YA is often the genre that, that most pushes the envelope in asking people to rethink their opinions often around issues that are unpopular or controversial, uh, they usually lead the pack ahead of adult fiction. Indeed. So to call it YA fiction in, in that sense, it actually is, is yeah, quite lovely. That's yeah. interesting. Both Jody and I have both written uh, YA. YA books as well as adult books. So that's it's mm. kind of interesting. You may but, now speak about Lily. <laughs> uh, thank you, Queen. <laughs> Queen Jody. Uh, Queen the, Jody for now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the character of Lily, I had a hard time getting started. It was the hardest part of writing the book, really, because... Because what I was doing when I first started writing that character was doing the thing that adults often do, which is kind of looking at the experience of uh, someone in high school through a kind of ironic lens. I was kind of turning to the reader and saying, we're wiser and smarter than she. And it didn't work. And I kept doing it and doing it. Jody had to give me homework. But finally... Finally, I was able to inhabit this character simply by giving her a few of the things that I did know about from my own life. I made her a nerd. I made her, um, she plays the cello. She is interested in classical music, which I thought was an interesting thing for a teenager to to be enthusiastic about. She's a fencer on the fencing team. And uh, in so many ways, she's just thirsty to know about life. She is like a sponge. She's And she's really full of just beans she's full of joy and yet it's the joy that comes it's not kind of an airheaded joy it's the joy that comes from someone who's had a hard life um, and who's kind of won at great cost a kind of happiness for herself so i just fell in love with her i hope readers will fall in love with her too and the fact that she dies in the end of chapter one it does certainly put a shadow over the rest of her, her story. And yet her story is, I think, not only a tragic one. I mean, it is tragic in that she 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 doesn't live to see the, the last chapter of this book. But as we go back in time, uh, we see all of the struggles that she had to go through to win her happiness for herself. And I hope that that in itself will lift people's spirits at least a little bit. I, I want to talk about Lily as well, because she, of of all the characters in the book, she was the one that I connected with um, the first. And I'm always I'm always interested in hearing from authors about how you get a reader to engage with a given character. And the way that I engage with Lily, and this might come as a complete surprise, or it might have been deliberate. I'm not sure is that I engage with Lily because of her facts. She yeah. is a fan of things happen, completely random things, and she has a fact to hand, which is something that often happens with me, and it's it's almost like a tick, and it's something that you will just say, oh, yeah, and, and by the way, did you know X? Did you know Y? And, and so my question is, was that deliberate, or was that just me? Was I just connecting with her because of that? It was the last thing I found before something clicked, and I was like, right, she's going to be not exactly a know-it-all, but someone who has a kind of encyclopedia brown <laughs> view of the world, and it is fair for me to tell you it's a thing that I have mm -hmm. and that I gave to her. It's funny you say it, Max. I actually think that's what made Lily click for you too, Jenny. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There was there was one time on tour recently when Jody and I were having lunch together and we, we were waiting a long time 
uh, we were bored. Our lunch didn't come, and we were waiting and waiting. And I said, I'll tell you, you know how we'll pass the time, Jody? I'm going to tell you the names of all the American presidents in reverse order. <laughs> Ready? Biden, Trump, she, Obama. No, no, stop. Please stop. Please stop. Bush, Clinton, she Bush. She finished, and then she said, do you want to hear the vice presidents? And I went, no. No. But no, you also said, you looked at me and you said, you really are a Lily, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> well, no, I'm not Lily, but I, but I did give her that. And I don't know, it might be even the, her very first scene. She's in her car with her father, and you can't always get what you want comes on the radio. Mm-hmm. And um, she says to him, uh, did you know Keith Richards takes off the E string on his guitar, and he plays his guitar yeah. with only five strings? And the father turns off the radio and they drive on for a while and it's it and it's funny because she's so excited here's here's a thing it's a it's an incredibly cool fact and the father just says you don't know everything which is a reaction that i've had often when i tell people you know the names of the presidents backwards or <laughs> you know when i when i tell you know the names of all the planets and all the moons of all the planets sometimes people are like you know what you could do actually you could shut up <laughs> Backwards. <laughs> I'm like, don't you want to know everything about all the moons and stars? And people no. are like, not right now. <laughs> um, th- there's something in this in this book. I t- said to Matt, I was going to mention this, and um, my guess is that no one else has brought it up. I can't wait. Let's hear it. Okay, we'll let you know. Okay, I wrote a book a couple of years back in which I included a line from my favorite film, which is The Princess Bride. <gasps> right, where Wesley playing the Dread Pirate Roberts, says to the princess, life is pain, highness. Anyone who says different is selling something. Mm-hmm. I just think it's that's justification for the movie right there. Mm. Just, Indeed. It's yeah. a fantastic line. The last podcast that we did was with Marina Hyde, Guardian columnist, who's written a, a book with a compilation of her columns in which that very line comes up mm. and we talk about the Princess Bride. And now in Mad Honey, again, the Princess Bride comes up can you can you i mean it's not a key plot point or anything but i sort of punch the air every time everyone anyone mentions the princess bride that was you what was the line i didn't write that one i wrote some of the other lines i think i think it's the wesley line i think it is the same one yeah yeah it's a lily chapter i know that for sure yeah yeah. Well, so this yeah. is a fact about your book, which that you, you don't know, which you which you yeah. don't remember. But she does know the names of all the vice presidents is it the, backwards. Is so. it the um, <laughs> anyway? There's just something immensely quotable about the Princess Bride. I would quote that movie left and right because there's a there's a sense of play in that film, uh, but there's also a sense of uh, something deeper and more truthful going on in that book. There's sometimes. Mad Honey is not a particularly funny book, but there is a way in which sometimes you can get at deeper truths through comedy than through anything else. I will fight you on that, Jennifer Finney Boylan. I think there are great moments of comedy in that book. What, in Mad Honey? Yeah. Are they your parts or my Maybe, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You talked about having your work banned in Florida, and I just wonder how, more broadly, how you think this book will play into conversations, particularly there, but a bit mm-hmm. here. You've got a feeling about what's happening uh, in the UK and the rest of the world. Because I, I sense that for a lot of people, this will be the first book where they've come across uh, a trans character in such depth and uh, have had a lot explained. And it maybe it's the first time. I don't know. But right. I just wonder how you think that will play into a political agenda, which is less mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. open, maybe. So sit back. Let me take this one. <laughs> <laughs> So my feeling is that you're exactly right. 
as Jenny said earlier, that there's something about fiction that allows you, I think, to get to know a character, to fall in love with a character, and then to realize maybe that your opinions are not what you thought they were about a character. It's a lot easier than having someone throw facts and figures at you uh, or politics at you because most people shut down at that moment. So, yes, fiction is a beautiful, insidious tool through which to inspire empathy and connection. And that's exactly the reason why this was the perfect medium for this story. I wrote a book called Small Great Things, which was about white privilege in America and racism in America. And it was targeted not to people of color who know exactly what life is like, but to white people who look like me and who maybe haven't considered that the color of their skin gets them a lot of unearned privileges every single day of their lives. This is very similar to that. As you know, we, we've got a trans author and a cisgender author that teamed up to write this book. And I think it is primarily for cisgender readers, people who were born into a body that seemed to fit, who never had to wrap their head around what it feels like to wake up and not have that match. And it is to give them a sense of understanding. Most controversy when it comes to trans rights comes from fear, fear of the unknown. And the best way to combat fear is to have a conversation with someone who's different from you. If you can't do that, the second best thing is to read something that was written by someone who's different from you or to read something about a person who is different from you, which is, I think, what Mad Honey does. The other thing that I will say is that, again, I'm going to hammer this home. This is a book about the things we have in common, not the things that divide us. That is really, really important to both of us. In this country in particular, there are a lot of people who identify as feminists who do not feel that trans women are women. And that breaks my heart in a lot of ways, but particularly because I, from what I can glean, a lot of the rationale for that is that they believe that trans women are really just men who want to get into safe spaces to hurt women. And a lot of that is born from legitimate fear of their own trauma at the hands of men. Now, it is, of course, categorically true that trans women are far more likely to be murdered than cisgender women. So there are statistics to refute that. But in addition to that, I wrote Olivia as a victim of domestic abuse for that exact reason because she knows what it is like to have her body fail her in some way, to not be strong enough, to not be able to stand up to violence. And a lot of these women who believe that trans women are not women, who rely on that that crutch, I guess, of, of information, who feel that trans women are really just out to hurt them, men who are out to hurt them, I don't think they realize how much they have in common with cisgender women who at some point in their lives have always felt the need to grab their keys when they're walking in a, a parking lot or to cross the street if they see a man that's coming at them. There are a lot of times as a woman that you feel threatened. It's because your body fails you in some way. That is the exact experience of somebody who is trans, who is born trans in the wrong body. And what I would like to hope is that if those people in this country read Mad Honey, they might be able to put themselves in someone else's shoes for the first time. In that way, Jennifer, does it does it feel like a different conversation in this country to America? Well, I think that the media in this 
country has been more virulent and more there's just been a, a lot of kind of terrible headlines uh, in the tabloids and all the all the Murdoch papers and 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 others as well in which the worst hallucinatory fears about the fact that I exist in the world have been amplified and what these people who don't understand trans lives never say is what trans people are supposed to do instead of existing. Are we supposed to simply disappear? Are we supposed to all be hauled off to, to bedlam? Are we there's no there's no understanding or recognition of the fact that to be trans is uh, among other things, a medical condition. It is something that you are born with. It is something that happens in the brain and in your genes, and it can happen to anyone. It can happen. It can even happen to Rupert Murdoch and his children and the people that he loves. It's not a political statement. It's not, uh, I don't exist in order to hurt anyone's feelings. That's not my primary goal in this world. My primary goal in this world is to go about the business of my life and to be, to raise my children, to teach my students, and to be, pardon the expression, an, an instrument for, for love as best I can in a world full of hatred and bullshit. And, you know, when I came out 25 years ago, no one, people were generally nice. My 85-year-old Republican Christian evangelical mother put her arms around me and said, love will prevail. And she quoted 1 Corinthians and said, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And there was no, I mean, it wasn't exactly easy for mom or for other people who had known me, but people understood that I was dealing with something fundamental and real. And no one then had been taught that they were supposed to hate me. And now, I'll go back, and at least in America, transgender people have been discovered as the greatest and latest and newest whipping girl mm -hmm. for all sorts of people who want the world to be driven by hatred and division. And so, back to Mad Honey, maybe a story like this will make people pause just for a second and think that what they maybe ought to do before they start opening up their mouths and spewing out vomit <laughs> is to open their hearts and just maybe try to be, what was what what is that pompous phrase I used, but it's real, an instrument for love. Final writerly point to Jody: If you want to put a trans character in another book, mm -hmm. will you write it on your own? That's a great question. Um, that's a big controversy that isn't much of a controversy when you pick it apart. There's this thing now about, like, you know, who people are telling you you can't write stuff. That's total BS. Nobody ever tells a writer that she can't write something. I think if you were writing about an experience that you have not personally had, what you really need to do is, A, your research. You find people who have lived that experience. And certainly I am I'm not, obviously, I'm not a black woman. The only way I could write a narrator in Small Great Things who happened to be black, who was one of three narrators, was to meet with a group of black women who were incredibly generous with their time, their stories, and who not only helped me create this character, but then vetted the book for me 
gave me things I needed to correct and made sure it was accurate when it came out. The alternative to that would have been to have a co-writer who, you know, was a woman of color. Either one is fine as long as you're you're doing, I think, that responsibly and uh, understanding that you're not speaking for a group that is not you. But you have to ask yourself as a writer, is this my story to tell? Why should I be the one to tell it? And is my telling the story going to mean that my book gets a space on a shelf that maybe should have gone to a trans author, right? Because they are woefully underrepresented in the literary community. And so I will argue two points for Mad Honey. Yes, this was my story to tell because I am here to tell other cisgender people to open their hearts and to open their minds a little bit. That's the point. That is who this is directed to. And as for getting, you know, a trans author right up there into the bestseller list, you know, well, how lovely to have Jenny right here by my side as the co-author. I mean, not that she hasn't gotten on the bestseller list by herself, but, you know, like, it's it's great. I feel like we've killed all the birds with one stone, which and, is really nice. And can I just add that, in fact, in this book, Jody did write at times, uh, the trans character. And she also, I mean, we edited each other's chapters pretty thoroughly in order to make it all feel smooth. So in fact, each of us has um, authority over mm -hmm. every word. Both of us have authority over all the words in this book. Jody Pico, Jennifer Finney Boylan, the book is Mad Honey. Thank you very much. There'll be a Q&A separate podcast with you very shortly, but uh, for the moment, Jody and Jennifer, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello, I'm Violet Manners, and welcome to Hidden Heritage, the podcast that brings you inside Great Britain's favorite destinations. From the same team that brought you the number one history podcast, Duchess, Hidden Heritage will uncover the fascinating stories behind the UK's brightest shining hidden gems. You'll hear from top experts in British heritage, including custodians, historians, artisans, experts, and even the craftsmen and restorers who've worked on some of the most celebrated historic buildings. We will share the untold and unique stories that celebrate UK heritage, from landmarks to architecture, artifacts to myths and legends. Hidden Heritage will highlight a side to British history you have never seen before. I'm your host, Violet Manners, and founder of Heritage X, and I invite you all to join us on this exciting journey. This is Hidden Heritage. You can find Hidden Heritage wherever you listen to your podcasts.